This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text at 2057. Email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. Oh, my goodness. I always have lovely people on the show, and I'm always excited to ha- have them, but I'm actually up a, up a notch. And I was so excited, I actually struggled to get to sleep last night because I have Ken Ring. Ken Ring, the long-range weather forecaster for New Zealand. And I've known of Ken Ring for a long time because my very good friend who is a farmer absolutely swore by Ken Ring's almanac uh, that would give a long-range weather forecast for the coming year. And it seemed to me, with my friend, it seemed to me that what he was talking about was impossible. But he swore by it. And so do, of course, do many farmers, fishermen, sports people, skiers, you name it, gardeners. And the almanac itself is stunningly beautiful. It's just a beautiful book to have. And... uh so he's an extraordinary man, and I think he was the first person in New Zealand to be cancelled and deplatformed. And of course, we've all been there since, but he led the way. And so we have with us the indomitable, the wonderful Mr. Ken Ring. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Rodney. Well, thank you for that, but I would tell your friend to stop swearing because it's bad manners. Oh, what did and, I? Uh, what did he? Ha- what did I have him say? <laughs> oh no, I'm only joking. Oh, you said that he swore. He swore by my almanac. Oh yes, but, no. Um, he, when I say he swore by it, it was like a, <laughs> it was like a a, a biblical um, reference to him. It was it was amazing. And of course, Ken, there's a lot of New Zealanders who are like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've been doing the almanac. The, the almanac since about 1999, and um, I think if they were were no good, I would have turned to something else long before then. But um, uh, sorry, long before now. Mm. But they that they have stayed. Um, 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 uh, that they they have stayed as a a useful tool for the agricultural people. And that's what I always wanted to happen. Um, but also there are um, uh, events coming up which people like to take note of and prepare mm. for and, and things like earthquakes and things. And, uh, and so it's useful for that as well. Well, we're going to get to that. Now, we're going to do this through uh, our, our show. How do people... Now, yeah. buy your book. How do they get a hold of your book? Well, they go to www.predictweather.com and all my books and articles and everything is in there. Or they can go to Facebook um, and dial up Ken Ring Long Range Forecaster and that, that will get them into the, the, uh, the, the page there. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't have a a big um, advertising uh, kind of campaign. I I let the whole thing um, um, 
it, it kind of works by word of mouth, uh, mostly. And um, so I, I'm happy with that. I mean, me and my small team ha- have been doing this since the very beginning. And uh, we always wanted for the thing to be affordable. And um, and so we we um, we like it to break even, um, and and so um, uh, we're not kind of in it as a, a, a big business venture. No, put it that way. Well, uh, a lot of people's livelihoods, and indeed their safety and their lives rest on accurate forecasts. And so it's a big deal what you do. And I imagine that you have customers that return year in and year out, like my friend. Yes. Yes, they are the main ones. I mean, the whole thing is really on a plane of knowledge, which everybody should have. And that, that's the way I look at it. It's not kind of something, something eclectic and, um, and, and only um, shared by, by uh, like some uh, a small group of people. But, it, it, but this kind of thing, this kind of knowledge should be all over the place. It should be in the schools and everything, but it's not. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm annoyed that it's not, and um, this this way I can kind of share it around. Mm. Um, now we're going to go through how you do it, how it's done, how you use the book, but I'd like to start at the yep. beginning, if I may, Ken. How did you get yep. interested, and how did you get involved in long range weather forecasting? How did it come about? Okay, well. We can go back to 1970. Um, I was married. I met my wife at Teachers Training College, and and we built a house in Titarangi. Um, we had a baby, uh, but we wanted to homeschool uh, because being teachers, we knew that our kids were going to be better, better off out of school. <laughs> so. But, but also we wanted our kids to be free. And we wanted to enjoy them and not have somebody else enjoying them. And I wanted to teach them to hunt and, and to fish and be independent and, and know how to survive and know what you could and couldn't eat uh, if you were in the wild. So it was against the law in those days to homeschool unless you lived more than 30 miles off a bus route. So, okay, we saved up, took us about a year, and we got us, we got ourselves an old school bus. We thought that that was appropriate, and we converted it to a house bus, and that became our home for the next 10 years. So we were out there uh, nearly all of the 1970s. And our, and, and, the way we lived was very basic because we were always in continually remote parts of the country, mainly on the beaches, um, but far from the towns and shops. 
And we found people living off the road, sorry, living off the land like us. People who you would never ever find in the city, like like drovers and swaggies and poor subsistence farmers. Uh, there, there were hippie communes. There were even real gypsies uh, who had Romany names like Lovingro, and uh, and they were mainly ex circus circus people, but they were all kind to us because we were all living the same way. Now, in the 70s, there were no craft craft fairs, no cell phones. You were mostly on your own. But it it was the richness of the characters you came across made up for that. And there was a never-ending line of elderly folk who shared their knowledge about fishing and native plants and, and food that was available. And if you could... If you could put up with a social isolation, it was a good, a good education. So I fished every day. I remember sitting on a beach and thinking that the moon's forces go through the air and the water. So they must go through the land underneath the water as well. And so they must have an effect on everything along the way, which we're not seeing because it's it's in plain sight. I mean, the moon has no brain or eyes, so how can it tell air from water and, and from land? So, like, it doesn't say to itself, "I'm not going to do anything until I can feel water, and then I'm only going to produce the water tide." Obviously, there must be a tide in the air and the sea and the land at the same time. And, and, and it turns out that the big tide is the land tide. So you've got a 3,000 kilometers depth of, land, of solid land going up and down in a tidal way every day. And everything, like mountains and rocks, everything grinds on itself like little cutting knives over thousands of years. Which, produce all, which produces all the soil and all the silk. The, all the shells on the beach uh, turn to sand. And on, on top of that, on top of all that, sits the oceans, which are only a couple of kilometers thick if you average it over the surface of the earth. So, in fact, there's only as much water as there is thin rubber around a party balloon. If you get a tablespoon of water and you tip it over a medicine ball, uh, and this is according to NASA, then that is all the water in the oceans around the Earth. It's virtually, uh, it's very, very small thickness. Um, So the land is the main thing. And when we think of the tide, we see the water level changing at the coast against the land, but that's all we see. So what is happening in reality is that the hills are expanding slightly and contracting slightly. It might be only be a centimetre or two, but we have, no, uh, we, we have nothing to compare it to. But it means everywhere has a small, has a mild earthquake every day.
but I mean, there just aren't enough sensors to pick it up as Earth movement. But if you look at the seismographs, you you will see that they are moving all the time. Now they move more in times of perigee. Now I'll explain what that is. Perigee means the moon closest to the Earth, and apogee means that means when the moon is furthest away, and that and those two happen every month. So it turns out that you fished and planted mainly on the apogee because everything in the land and the sea is more calm and, and settled. But when it was the perigee, you didn't go fishing because all the fish headed for the deep because the water was too turbulent and the sand would be turned up and presumably that would get in the fish's gills. And then uh, a couple of days later, they'll return to the warmer water of the coast. And, of course, by now they're ravenously hungry. So after, so two days after the perigee is a good time to go fishing. Now, all of the severe... Can I just interrupt water, you, Ken? I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm just... Tr- so this is... <clears throat> is this ancient wisdom? Did did people before you know this? Absolutely. So there is the the perigee and the apogee was a thing that was taught to to the uh, the uh, mariners and uh, 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 coastal fishermen. Uh, it's in their manuals. They learned all about that, and they learned that all the severe weather warnings, weather warnings came at the time of perigee, which is every two weeks. Uh, it, it was a very common word, but now it, it's almost unknown. But the perigee is the reason for the king tide, although people mistakenly put the king tide down to the full moon or the new moon, but that's mostly around that time also, but it's not what causes it. And so, I mean, uh, it's fairly obvious when you think of it. If the moon comes closer, then the tides are going to be... uh, uh, um, uh, Tides are going to be bigger and they're going to be going further up the beach. And so, so by then, I had also started to notice that the worst storms uh, seem to happen at the time of the highest tides. So I realised this very quickly because we had to move all our stuff back and it would be pouring with rain. Well, when that happens about three times in a row, you start to think that there's a leak (laughs) and you start to think that a system of prediction could be devised that covered a whole year. Well, everybody I approached seemed to shrug, shrug their shoulders. I mean, people who have been so helpful about fishing and planting uh, drew blanks when it came to uh, this kind of um, uh, this kind of pattern. So it was up to me. I knew I had to start collecting records, and and I, also I wondered why all the books that I got out of the library didn't even mention the moon, except about the tides. 
Well, then I got onto astrology books, and oh my goodness, there it was laid out everything about the moon that wasn't in the other books. And I had already studied the clouds somewhat. I could roughly read the sky. Um, it's actually easier in the country. Your eye travels along the line of the hills and then upwards, and your eye uh, has a restful and natural uh, way of doing that. Whereas in the city, the houses on the, on the skyline seem to scramble uh, the visual transition and discourages your eye from looking up. And maybe it's just that in the, in the town, we don't have to look up because we prefer the forecasters to do it for us. So anyway, I got crowd uh, information from a children's book, and and it was good, uh, but I wanted to know more. So I invested all uh, I invested in all sorts of weather reading equipment, uh, the barometer, temperature gauge, wind gauge, weather vane, rain gauge, hygrometer, uh, which is a thing for me- measuring humidity, and in a diary. I kept a daily record of air pressure, wind speed, air temperature, humidity, moon phases, and the weather that was just above me. Now, I figured if there was a, uni- a universal system, it would work uh, just above me, uh, wherever I was. Uh, I mean, gravity works on everything, so why not also on the moon and the tides? Um, so Isaac Newton didn't have to go all over the world dropping apples. Uh, I, I ha- had to have a scale of weather conditions, and it was a purely subjective one. But I decided on 13 different weather states, and I allotted them a value. And number one, of course, was a clear day, fine weather, uh, no wind. And then uh, along the, the number six, was rain, and right through to number 13, which was electrical hurricane. And so on my scale, uh, rain kicked in at a number six. And I kept up this this idea of uh, recording the weather uh, for four years. Every day was the first task in the morning, last task before bed and I averaged what the day uh, would be described as. And then I entered uh, this with the other data. I was very scientific about it uh, because I had done science at university, and this seemed to be the way to go. And, of course, and I didn't have any anything else to do except catch fish. <laughs> and look after kids. So, yeah. So at the end of the first year, I grafted it all out, and my weather values up the vertical axis plotted against the other variables along parallel horizontal axes. And it came as a big surprise to me that, to begin with, the only factors that coincided with a weather value reading exceeding six was the moon stuff. So all the other factors seemed to have no consistent bearing. Sometimes it rained when it was cold, sometimes when it was warm. Uh, wind speed and humidity similarly showed no pattern. Uh, 
And by the end of the second year, I could see the pattern repeating. So the, the tide and the moon and the perigees were all important. And I realized that full moons mainly brought bad weather in the winter, whilst new moons were the culprit in the summer. And it always rained two days after the new, sorry, after the full moon, no matter where I was. And on the full moon night, it was always crystal clear and, um, and peaceful, and the sea was always dead flat. Um, and it came to be a, a, a kind of a law. Uh, and if there was rain about uh, over the new moon period, it seemed to wait until after the moon had set before dropping. In other words, if the moon is in the sky, it is always less likely to rain. Um, and then I began to predict the weather for myself and my immediate friends. I mean, you could just look up the almanac, uh, the, auto, the nautical almanac, uh, which was available in most shops to see when the next perigee was coming. It was just marked with a P. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, and of course, you can always see when the full moon was coming. And the basic rules were, if it was a full moon, uh, there was guaranteed rain or change uh, uh, during the day. Uh, if the, there was a perigee, uh, there was a gusty winds as well. And if the perigee and full moon occurred on the same day, well, you got a double lot of bad, bad, bad stuff, um, bad weather. Uh, but if the perigee and the full moon uh, occurred a few days apart, then the bad weather hung over those days. Uh, but it was all trial and error. And I didn't yet know about declinations in the air tide, and that I discovered later. Although I would stand watching the sea for hours and wonder if the air was subject to the same dynamics as tidal flow. I mean, common sense told me it must be, but if so, why wasn't I taught it at school? Yes. Uh, but, but anyway, no one except my wife Jude believed in the work. And that a group of us were all set to travel to Nambassa, uh, which was the big uh, music uh, rock festival. And so I looked it up, and I I noticed that I noticed that coming up was the full moon and perigee due to coincide just before the festival. So I said, "No, no sorry, guys, I can't, I can't go because it's going, it's going to hose down." Oh, big laugh. Big laughs everywhere. Uh, uh, and that, but they all went anyway without us. Well, as I thought would happen, a torrential downpour. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? Can you remember, Ken? Uh, uh, it would have to be about 70, 
And of course, when they come to church, they leave money in the plate. And so the weather was always kind of uh, part of the future, which you weren't supposed to go there. Um, but and I think that attitude has persisted uh, for for um, much of the time since. But anyway, um, uh, once um, I went to a library and I looked up all the weather-related disasters in New Zealand history that I could think of, and I matched them against the moon phases closest to those dates to try and establish some pattern there. Well, amazingly, almost all the weather-related disasters that I looked up, and there were about 200, happened in the week of either the full moon or the new moon and all coinciding with the parity. So I had it all down to a workable system, but my wife got sick, and that was the end of the of the adventures in the bus. And that was about 1980. So back in Auckland, I, ha- I I moved slightly away from that. I had a series of jobs. I got involved with the Homeschool Federation. I became a tutor with kids with learning difficulties. I was a speech therapist and relieving teacher. But also I became a professional magician and a clown on the weekends. And magic had always been a hobby and a fascination, and I managed to come up with an act which taught kids how to enjoy math. And so I used magic to teach math, and I call myself Math Man. And as Math Man, I took the show to about a 1,000 schools all over the country, and I ended up uh, doing that off and on for about 20 years. Um, so it was kind of like, is it a curve? Is it a plane? No, it's math man. He's, <laughs> fast. He's faster than a speeding logarithm. He can leap, leap over quadratic equations with one bound using proof, justice, and the numerical way. <laughs> How wonderful. So I, had, I had a hell of a lot of fun with that. And I ended up writing several, bo- several books for teachers and parents. And then I became international guest performer at the York Mathematics Festival in England. Uh, and I also got the QE2 Award for Performance in Schools in 1992. So that was a kind of a bit of a deviant uh, 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 adventure. Uh, but I was still pushing my interest in the weather. And I used to go to the book fair in Frankfurt, Germany, uh, to try and because I I, I I I was writing a book about uh, about the whole thing, and I wanted to, wanted to know if there were other books around. Um, I was still doing the math man thing. Uh, afterwards, I did shows in Great Britain, which enabled me to study Stonehenge and other stone circles which I wanted to survey because it was obvious to, obvious to me that they were nothing more than weather calculators. Every village seemed to have one. It was only after that that I realized that there are stone circles 
here too in this country, obviously erected by an ancient civilization, but they are still here. But the people don't know where they are. There's a couple of them in, in the middle of Auckland, for example. So anyway, the, that, that's a whole other story. But then the internet came along and around 1996, and I had a website, which was probably the first to be highly skeptical of the global warming nonsense. And I was building up a, a following, which was sufficient to convince me that the almanacs might be a, a viable thing. So in 1998, I started to, to prepare one um, uh, for the year 2000. And and um, and I mean I, I I was doing all the regions, and I realised that everybody was booking motels and planning to go to go to Gisborne for the Millennium Sunrise, but all the weather maps seemed to indicate offshore winds and a trough moving up the country, which meant a cloudy morning, and. The place to be was going to be the Chathams, if you wanted to see the rising sun. So it was going to be it was going to be a big disappointment for people. Well, I didn't know what to do. So because the almanac was already printed out, so I approached the Herald, and they printed, uh, uh, which which I'm very grateful for. They printed uh, a full page article written by a chief reporter called uh, Philip English and and, he, and the article was almost word for word that I supplied. So it was newsworthy, as I was saying, don't go to Gisborne, you're wasting your time. Well, this was the 27th of July, 1999. Wow. It was six months before the Millennium Day. So I think that's people thought that I, I was either a nutter or a, an opportunist, but I had to be sure. My reputation was on the line almost immediately, and and um, and I sat for six months hoping that it was going to be true. And as it happened, it was exactly right, uh, because the Millennium Day weather uh, was absolutely cloudy, and I got the map correct as well. But in the days following the article, I was contacted by an enormous number of people who either used the moon phases themselves or could tell me what their grandparents did in terms of weather production, uh, planting and fishing. And one guy who wrote to me was this chap called Harry Alcock of Hamilton, who was an umbrella manufacturer, and he had worked out a system of when to pay for advertising in the Waikato Times for his umbrellas. He didn't want the ad to be in the paper when the sun was shining, obviously. So <laughs> that is so, that's almost that's almost a TV show, isn't it? The umbrella <laughs> man is better at predicting the yeah. weather than the government forecasters. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but that is so funny. The humble yeah, yeah. umbrella man knows more about the weather. 
<laughs> well, Hamilton was just down the road from Auckland. So I shot down immediately and we ended up sharing our knowledge. And that, that was all fantastic for the pair of us because we, we didn't realize that we'd done everything by trial and error and we'd ended up with the same result. So all that kicked off the Max. I started uh, doing one for Great Britain, but I got ripped off by a publisher there and Hazard Press in Christchurch started publishing and distributing here, so it became a business. Um, so people used to say, um, you predict the weather. Well, you have to be a magician to do that. So I say, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I have been. <laughs> and then they say, only a bloody, only a bloody cloud would try to predict the weather. <laughs> and I say, oh, yeah, well, I've been there too. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You were a clown, a magician, and a weather forecaster, a long-range weather forecaster. Just for people that, <laughs> just just for people, just for people that are tuning in, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we're talking to the wonderful Ken Ring, who is, amongst other things, a clown uh, and a magician and a long-range weather forecast, and uh, a gifted uh, school teacher of maths and with special needs, um, an all-round good guy. That is such a funny story. I'm still catching up, not about the magician, the clown one, but the umbrella man in Hamilton. And the, the um, um, umbrella man in Hamilton, had he picked it up from sort of ancient wisdom, or had he worked it out entirely on his own? No, I think he had just uh, kept a table of the same as me and just noted things that happened around the moon times uh, because people don't think... I mean, look, I, I, I used to go into the schools and I used to say, um, who knows about the moon? And everybody would put their hand up. Oh, that's good. And who knows about... Uh, and, and they'd all yell out, full moon, full moon, full moon. And I say, oh, well, do you know about the full moon? And I said, yes. And so I say, uh, who's seen the full moon at lunchtime? They all put their hands up. I say, no, no, you're actually lying to me. You never see the full moon at lunchtime. Okay. And oh, consternation. And, 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 and I say, no, when you actually look carefully at the moon, you'll notice that it, it only rises at sunset and it goes out of the sky at sunrise. And that's what the moon does. That's one of the things that you need to start to take note of. And there are people in their 70s who don't even know that, even now. And they've looked, they've looked at the moon so many times, but they, that, the things that are in plain sight they don't seem to notice. I mean, they don't seem to notice that the full moon always brings a clear night. And so why does it do that? It does that by clearing the sky. It's actually the moon that clears the sky on a full moon night. And so how does it do that? Well, 
when the moon rises, um, um, there's cold air wants to come down, cold evening air, which is heavier. Uh, uh, cold air is heavily is heavier, and it wants to come down uh, to where our atmosphere is. But the moon has underneath it a a, a whole pile of air, which uh, which it, it kind of carries all around the Earth as it, as it uh, transit the transits the Earth. Well, when it rises, before I'm I'm talking about the full moon. Uh, the air under the moon um, stops the evening clouds from coming down. And when it does that, it stops the evening cloud from cooling enough to, to actually show as clouds. So it, it tends to clear the sky just because it is rising then. And, um, and uh, I mean, you think back to all the, the full moons that you have seen, uh, you would have to admit that that it makes for clearer weather. And it was noticed by the sailors because they, there are all sorts of nautical sayings like the full moon eats the clouds and stuff like that, um, or it chases, chases the clouds away. Um, but whereas the new moon, the new moon day is going to be uh, is going to be um, um, it's going to be going to be um, pleasant. Uh, there's not not going to be um, clouds and stuff. Because the moon is in the sky, but you can't see it. It's against the glare of the sun. But the new moon day is nearly always rain-free. Um, but if there's rain around, then the rain will fall, will fall in the night time. And uh, I remember, um, Ken, you were like a regular feature. Oh, well, you were often in the news with your predictions, and you were very highly regarded, I guess, following your prediction of the what the weather was going to be six months ahead for the new millennium. Yep. yep. You were quite, I mean, you were famous in New Zealand. Well, well, um, uh, I have to say I was on nearly every show on TV. Yes. And, um, um, and uh, 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 there was a show called um, the Fishing Show with Jeff Thomas uh, on on Radio Live. I did that every Saturday morning, and and the afternoon before that, I was on the uh, Radio Watia with somebody called Aroha. Uh, I think her name is Hathaway. And uh, and I used to do the, the same thing for her, but but uh, what was interesting is that on this particular morning, on this particular Friday afternoon, I happened to mention that there was going to be earthquakes um, in the next few days in the South Island, 
and people bet better you beware. And I repeated it in the morning with uh, Jeff Tom, uh, Thomas uh, because I read from the same notes. Uh, I, I was a bit lazy then. And, uh, and so I said the same thing. There's going to be a, a, a few large earthquakes in the South Island. And just said, hold on, hold on. Have you heard the news? It's already happened. And I said, what had? And he said, the earthquake, of course. It happened at 4.30 this morning. I said, no. I was in bed about, uh, until about an hour ago. And, um, and I was quite blown away. But uh, so after that, I took more interest in earthquakes. And unfortunately, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end. And that's a whole other story. Um, but we're going to do, Ken, be if you do that before that. But just to interrupt and take over for a minute. You're on Radley Check Radio with Real Talk uh, with, with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to Mr. Ken Ring, a. Um, an amazing long-term weather forecaster. And I should point out, uh, you can get his book. It's the weather. It seems extraordinary <laughs> that Ken can predict the weather uh, for next year. But he has this almanac, which will tell you the weather for your region for all of 2024. And one of the most remarkable things about Ken, we're going to get to his deplatforming after this, but one of the most remarkable things about you, Ken, is that you predicted this year's floods and that occurred yep. in February. And not only that, you predicted them 14 years ago. Yep. Well, I also predicted the, the big rains that happened in Auckland in January. And, uh, and it so happened that January uh, had the closest perigee for over a thousand years. Uh, it it, it, and the last time that the moon was as close uh, to, uh, to the whole Earth was something like 685 uh, AD. And the next time it would be as close is not going to be for another 345 years. So January's uh, uh, intense rain was a total, um, was one out of the blue. And, and I mean, I didn't realize that, 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 that the, um, um, the, uh, well, uh, what was I going to say? That, that the sea would be as violent and the tide was going to be as big. But I realized it was big enough that I needed to put out all sorts of weird, all sorts of warnings to the South Splash people in Raglan, uh, for example, that everybody should stay out of the water because the currents are going to be so big they need... Uh, because they held a rock festival uh, the weekend that it was going to happen. So I wrote all, the, all, all these letters off. Um, I, 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 I did it on the internet and I got that uh, uh, messages saying, thanks very much. We'll warn our people. So apparently there were over 40 
That's four zero. Uh, rescue saved saves alone in in that particular area, and so. Uh, but all of last year, I was warning that this bad weather is going to happen um, on January, and uh, and that there was a cyclone. Well, not really a cyclone, an ex-tropical cyclone, which was going to affect the country in February. And um, and that is the kind of thing that um, that I was known for. So um, I, I mean, in the early seventies, uh, in the sorry, in the early two thousands, the media here, the media here got more and more interested, and uh, and I was everybody show. I even worked for Doc, uh, but there was bad blood. Between me and Niwa, which I still say stands for no idea what's ahead. <laughs> mm. and, and then Channel 7 in Australia started to feature me in their Today Tonight show, and I became their long range with a consultation every month. So then I started doing it. An Australian almanac, and they paid me a ridiculous amount of money as a retainer, and that association lasted until 2015. Uh, meanwhile, some radio station in Ireland started getting my reports, which made me decide to do an Ireland almanac each year as well. And I'm still doing the Auckland one and the Australian one and the Irish one every year. And then, and then, as you mentioned, the Christchurch earthquake came along, and everything changed. I didn't everything mean changed. To study. Let's, let's I, walk. I didn't mean to study, but it kind of fell into my lap, and I could see what the moon was going to be doing, and where and when, uh, and what was going to happen, at least six months uh, beforehand, and I knew that as a long-range weather forecast, it was something I would have to warn about because otherwise people could say, what kind of a long-range forecaster are you? And my credibility would be shot again. So um, I, I, was kind of, uh, I was kind of forced into it. Um, and, 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 and the rest, uh, the rest they say, is obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> well, walk us through it because this is, and listeners won't have followed this. This is an extraordinary story. So take your time, Ken, and walk us through this most carefully because you had uncovered a pattern that you could see in earthquakes and you could yep. forecast earthquakes to some extent. Okay. Now, now well, tell us all that happened in your own time and at your own pace. Yeah. Well, it was September, of course, and um, and they had this big earthquake, and I felt that I, I felt that I had uh, I felt that I had told people that one was coming, but I didn't really tell tell them much about it. Um, uh, but I could see that 
there was trouble ahead in February because the moon was coming around to the same position as it was in September, and it was going to take six months to do so. And and I thought, oh, well, there's plenty of time. Uh, people um, uh, uh, are going to be receptors, receptive to the idea because of what happened in September. But the head geologist uh, came on to the Casper uh, Ryan in the National uh, Radio and was featured all over the place. And he was he was saying absolute nonsense. He was saying, oh, there's not going to be another one for three to, or 4,000 years uh, in Christchurch. Uh, and, and I said, I, I thought, what? Well, what? What is the guy talking about? And then somewhere else he said, there's not going to be another one for 500 years. And I said, oh, God, this guy is talking crap. He's a, he's a geologist, and he doesn't even know about uh, stuff that I feel uh, people ought to know about. So I put out uh, the first tweet, uh, which was, uh, um, uh, I, I forget what it said now, but, but it, 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 it said something something like uh, there's another earthquake coming in six months time to Christchurch better beware uh, and and if uh, people would like to know what that uh, tweet is but they only have to look up uh, look up my name and and um um, they will find it. Uh, so, but anyway, um, um, I sent out that tweet uh, because I was absolutely sure that in six months' time uh, there was it was actually five and three quarter months, uh, but I said six months that uh, people uh, needed to be prepared. And so, um, as it was getting nearer and nearer. Uh, to, to the uh, February the 22nd. When it got to be February the 14th, I put out another tweet and it said, the weather, uh, the, uh, there's going to be a big earthquake in Christchurch um, uh, in the next few days. Uh, I put it down to uh, happening on the 18th, but maybe give it uh, three days, um, uh, th three days error, and uh, and people ought to look out for that. Well, of course, it happened on the twenty second, but 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 by by that time, I had a following uh, on my website, and uh, and uh, and there was a lot of discussion. Um, around about the time I put this tweet out and uh, uh, quite a few people didn't go near the CBD uh, during the week of the um, from the 18th onwards and so they missed um, the brunt of the earthquake and um, and so I was very pleased about that um, the earthquake of course happened uh, the 
tragedy was that uh, 185 people uh, were killed because some of the buildings were not up to scratch. But the people had had been warning about Christchurch getting an earthquake and these buildings needing some kind of uh, structural uh, check on them. Uh, uh, and it was well overdue. But anyway, anyway, it it, it happened, and um, and people then emailed me and said, "Oh, thanks very much. Uh, we feel uh, you saved our lives because we left town that day and uh, stayed away for that week, just like you said." So I felt quite blessed by that. Um, but oh. Then the the stuff hit the fan uh, because I was quite unprepared for what happened next because I didn't realise uh, that that the true economic the the true catastrophe that I contributed to causing was that people were not spending money in the Christchurch shops. They were spending money in towns outside Christchurch, like Timaru and stuff like that. They were doing really well. And people were vacating Christchurch. And that was the true economic catastrophe for the government because they were National Party supporters, the people who owned the shops. And the government took a really serious attitude towards me and all sorts of people um, and of course the media sided with the government and I was called a, a charlatan and, and this and that and and I mean I was only um, um, saying what I believed I Now Ken just to, to interrupt here just to interrupt you I do apologise but you were being you were being attacked ahead of the earthquake weren't you before the, um, no, no, I was okay. attacked after the earthquake. Be, be, really? Because, because it, then they realised that my website had been uh, predicting the earthquakes all along. My goodness. And, and here's the crazy and, thing, listeners. Here's the crazy thing. We talked to Mr. Kenring. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've got his almanac in front of us, the 2024 New Zealand Weather Almanac, which includes earthquake and earthquake diary. Uh, you can get it uh, by going to www.predictweather.com. It's an amazing compilation. Ken Ring accurately predicted the February earthquake in Christchurch and warned people about it. The geologists and all the government experts were saying, no, there's not going to be another earthquake for thousands of years. And then they may have said hundreds of years, but there was nothing to worry about. Ken Ring accurately predicted it, and people who subscribed to his predictions stayed away from Christchurch and emailed him to thank him for saving lives saving their lives. 
because they stayed out of the CBD. Ken Ring, who had been enjoying media, I'd say fame, he was in the media because people were finding his forecast for the weather useful and accurate. But his accurate prediction of the earthquake resulted in him being condemned and deplatformed and the people that didn't predict it remained the scientists and the experts. Have I got that right, Ken? Yeah, that's right. And it's the most extraordinary. Was, it, it's the most extraordinary. Your head must have been spinning with the injustice of it. Well, yeah, but also I, I really felt that the science community had let down the public, and I think that they saw that as well, uh, because there was nothing in the training of geologists that actually gave them the tools to predict the next earthquakes that were happening, because there is nothing in their training that teaches them about the moon and its effect on the inner core of the earth, which um, which uh, um, uh, which supplies a pressure within the Earth that uh, makes the Earth expand and contract um, in a regular way that brings earthquakes. That there is nothing in the geologist's training that prepares for them for it, and there still is nothing. And so, when they're asked when the next earthquake is coming, well, they feel on the spot because. Um, because they should know the answers. They actually don't. I mean, uh, all, all that they can do is uh, put on white coats and rush over to a fault line and uh, and and, and uh, rub their chins and look wise and say a whole lot of stuff about earthquakes that doesn't help at all. And, um, and they don't really know when... The, the next earthquake is going to appear. That they they've got this crazy notion that the fault line, the fault lines, cause the earthquakes. Well, it's not the fault lines that cause the earthquakes. It's the earthquakes that cause the fault lines. It's the <laughs> earthquakes bursting through that make the fault line. As soon as you say far. that, it's obvious, right? Yes, of course it is. The fault lines are just the scars on the hillside where, where the pressure has broken through. So it's like looking on your arm, looking at a scar on your arm and trying to predict <laughs> when the next, <laughs> when the next accident <laughs> 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 Oh, Ken, I, I, um, I'm listening to you talk and, there's no more closed mind than the closed mind of an expert is what I'm thinking, listening to you, these experts. And, and it's the funny thing is, is that people can see it from the outside. And once you see through it, and if you have an open mind to possibilities, you're actually smarter, right? Yeah. Well, 
science has done a complete reversal in the last few years. Rather than being uh, fonts of knowledge and uh, uh, to help people and to provide information that people are going to act on wisely, they, they have actually um, clamped down on information. Uh, they have stopped information getting out. I mean, I, I say that the, that, that, um, the meteorologists make more money when they get the weather wrong than when they get the weather right. Yes, because, because they need so, more resources. That's right. So nobody's going to throw buckets of money at somebody who gets the weather right all the time. No. They're only going to throw it to them our health system and our education system when they're doing their worst that's when they attract more money because they're that's doing right. so, you think oh they're not teaching our kids therefore throw them more money uh, the health system yeah. is not treating people who are sick throw them more money and actually the systems that's themselves right. are broken now am I right Ken I'm dredging my mind here and You've got a great sense of humor, so thank you for that. You've given me and I hope listeners some great laughs. Um, am I right that Nick Smith and the skeptics went and had a cup of coffee at the sign of the Takahi to prove you wrong ahead of the Christchurch earthquake? Yes, absolutely. They had this big media event. Uh, there was all sorts of speakers and um mm -hmm. And the, the whole point of the meeting was to was to uh, um, uh, the whole point of the meeting was to debunk you, me. yeah, debunk me, and, and to show friends. and to show and, that you were wrong and there's nothing to be scared of. Yeah, and all the time that they were speaking, there was uh, shakes happening all around them. There were forty six. Uh, earthquakes as they were speaking and there were <laughs> three big ones down at Weisel and there was a huge one that night which was about a 6.9 uh, which totally wrecked the deputy uh, uh, chief geologist's house um, uh, but the government uh, completely underreported it uh, fortunately I had the screenshot because all day I was sitting by the computer screen. I felt sure that uh, something was going to happen and I was just looking for some evidence and and all of a sudden at 9.47pm, bang, a screenshot uh, 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 appeared which showed this seven intensity shape and, and it only lasted on screen for about 10 minutes and was whipped off again. Uh, obviously, somebody made a mistake, but I had grabbed it and kept it. And um, uh, I, I think I sent it to you uh, yes. in an email. But, um, but there was certainly, um, uh, it, it happened. Well, the next day, uh, it was all over the papers that, oh, there was a shake. But it wasn't Ken Rinshite, it was something <laughs> else. 
<laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like the 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 guy standing up screaming at God, you know, that he's not real and getting struck by lightning. I mean, it was that <laughs> it was that amazing, and then saying, "Oh no, that wasn't God. That was just bad." I mean, Nick Smith and the skeptics, like went up there to prove you wrong, attracted all this media attention, blow me down there with these big shakes and earthquakes. And um, yeah. you would think you would think the media and the government would say, hang on. I mean, on the face of it, Ken, and this is why it's such a head turner, on the face of it, to a, to a, to a person like me who is steeped in normality, really, and and you, you don't realize how propagandized you are or how regulated you are in your thinking because you just say to yourself, it's impossible to predict the weather a year ahead, otherwise they'd be doing it. And it's impossible to predict earthquakes, otherwise they'd be doing it. Blow me down. Here's King Ring predicting the weather, predicting the earthquakes, they're making a big show to prove that he's wrong, and all they did was prove that he was right. And and their response isn't to say, hang on, maybe we should flick a bit of money Ken Ring's way and get rid of the geological survey and Niwa. No, 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 no. Their response is to destroy you. Well, and 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 the guy who was the deputy head geologist. Uh, got a thousand dollars, got a hundred thousand dollars, which was the uh, prime minister's science prize uh, for going around Christchurch criticising me. That's all he was doing. So <laughs> I, I feel I, I feel entitled to half his prize money. But, <laughs> um, but, but, and his house got destroyed but, by the Christchurch earthquake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, the f- f- funny thing is that uh, at this skeptics lunch, they were all uh, adamant that, and, and, and they felt that they had their proof that an earthquake was not going to happen that day. Well, if you can predict that an earthquake is not going to happen, you can predict that the earthquake is going to happen. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. But they couldn't do that, and you did. Ken, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show this morning. I I love it that you're still laughing um, because... Obviously, there's the personal injustice, but you must also feel deeply that literally lives could be saved if people would listen to you. Yeah. Well, that is my mission in life, to make people more aware that that bright thing in the sky is just... Uh, something more than um, more than a bright light, and that it controls all the weather. It, 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 uh, you can see how it controls the weather on the full moon night. Well, it does it uh, on every night. It's just not as obvious. 
um, but uh, and it controls the tides. Uh, um, it, it, it virtually uh, governs everything that we do on Earth. It's a it's an extremely uh, benign thing, but it can also be a very destructive thing, and uh, and. They, they, there ought to be a program in schools that looks to talking about the, what the moon does and what it is. And uh, it's, it, it's like a whole gap in our education and yeah. in, in the curriculum at school. Well, so there we I, have it. I, I, there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. We have the wonderful Ken Ring, uh, long-range weather forecaster, great guy. Now, uh, I love his almanac, and you can get it at predictweather.com. If you have an interest in the weather, if you have an interest in what the weather's going to do next month and six months' time and a year's time, you can keep this on your coffee table, and it will tell you. You can also follow Ken Ring on Facebook. Go onto Facebook and Google his name. He really is uh, a Kiwi institution and legend and a humanitarian in terms of his mission and a great storyteller because what a story that a government minister <laughs> and the skeptic society went up to have a coffee to prove that it was safe and an earthquake hit oh my goodness um and of course as we've learned there's nothing that government hates more than a citizen stepping outside the narrative then that citizen stepping outside that narrative and being proved right. And that was Mr. Ken Ring's crime. You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You can send a text to 2057. You can email me at inbox at radleycheck.radio. And remember, www.predictweather.com. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.